Our text today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You can find this on page 964 in your pew Bible. The Word of God says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort with which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Please be seated. This morning we have the privilege of hearing from Dr. Dennis Hollinger. He is the president and a, and a professor of ethics at, at Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Massachusetts. And uh, we're just so pleased to have him this morning. He's been an adjunct or visiting professor uh, throughout the world and Russia, India, Ukraine, also locally at Trinity International University. Dr. Hollinger received his BA from Elizabethtown College, his Master's in Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, his Master's in Philosophy, and his PhD from Drew University, and he's done postdoctoral studies at Oxford University. He and his wife, Marianne, have two adult, two adult daughters and five grandchildren. So let's welcome Dr. Dennis Hollinger. Well, thank you so much, Kurt, and it is a great joy to be with you this morning here at College Church and part of the Spring Mission Festival. When I was invited to speak at the Spring Mission Festival at the end of February in Chicago area, I thought, I doubt it. (laughs) But sure enough, I got off the plane yesterday and it was 56 degrees and thank you for the warm weather, though we've had warm weather in Boston as well. Thank God for this congregation. You have been faithful to the gospel, to the word. You've been a mission-sending body. And uh, it's been our privilege over the years to have uh, several graduates from Gordon-Conwell who've served on the pastoral staff here. So I feel very much at home and delighted to be with you. When we think about missions in the world today, I think one of the things that is very clear is that if you want to be engaged in the mission of the church, you are headed for trouble. And it really doesn't matter what form you're involved in, whether it be a missionary going to another culture to serve Christ, or serving Christ where the Lord has called you in your job, in your neighborhood, in the various networks to which He calls us in life. No matter where you are serving Christ, troubles trials, afflictions are bound to follow. Trouble and trials, of course, are a part of life in a broken and complex world. But then we add being a follower of Christ into the equation, it becomes even more intense. And we add to that being engaged in the mission of the church, the mission of the kingdom, 
proclaiming and embodying the gospel in our lives, it becomes even more intense. The sources of our struggle in the mission of the church are several. On the one hand, some of the troubles come from the external world, the world around us. I think it's clear to all of us that the world increasingly seems unkind to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we experience it more and more in our own culture. If they hated Christ, they will hate you. The International Society for Human Rights has estimated that of all of the religious discrimination that is occurring in the world today, 80% of it is leveled against Christians, though Christian adherents make up only one-third of the world's population. A second source of the trials and struggles that we face are interpersonal conflicts. And conflicts and interpersonal tensions seem to abound in the church today, in mission agencies. Uh, Missionaries often come home from the mission field after one or two terms. Some never make it through a full term because of conflicts and tensions at an interpersonal level. And then thirdly, some of the struggles that we face in carrying out the mission of the gospel are from within ourselves, physical, emotional, spiritual, the dark nights of the human soul. Second Corinthians, the second epistle to the Corinthian church, is a book about trials and troubles. When I read this epistle, I think Paul could easily have sung that song from the Broadway hit Music Man, We've Got Trouble, Trouble, Trouble in River City. We've got trouble, trouble, trouble in Ephesus, Corinth, Asia Minor, everywhere we go. Listen to the way he describes some of the struggles that he faced in carrying out the mission of the church. Chapter 11. He says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I have faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You ready to sign up? (laughs) Paul knew the reality of the trials and struggles of being a Christian on the one hand, but he also knew the trials and the struggles, the deep trouble from being engaged in the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But fortunately, this epistle to the Corinthian church, the second epistle, is not just about afflictions and trials. It's also a book about comfort in the midst of them. In fact, the word for comfort occurs 59 times in the New Testament. Twenty-nine of them occur in this epistle, half of them. And our text today abounds in comfort in the face of trouble in the Christian life and in the ministry, the mission of the church of Jesus Christ in the world. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Paul begins with the description of the God of all comfort in verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. It's important to understand here that the comfort that Paul speaks of is not some tranquilizing dose of grace to dull the pain. It is rather the comfort of the very presence of God himself in our lives. Comfort means encouragement. It means help. It means that his strength helps us in those moments when we feel most vulnerable, most weak, most conflicted by the realities in life around us. In verses 8 through 10, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far, from, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. It's obvious that the comfort of God and the deliverance from that comfort doesn't mean that we are exempt from troubles and trials. Paul's description is very vivid of the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, of being engaged in the mission in the world to which he was called. But what it means is that there is a deliverance, there is a strength that comes, a spiritual and emotional deliverance right in the midst of all of the struggles. Jesus himself had promised that when he left this earth, his followers would not be left alone to their own devices that he would send to them the great comforter, the paraclete, the Greek word, referring to the Holy Spirit who would come. And so in John, the 14th chapter, verse 16, Jesus said to the apostles, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And several other times in these several chapters, he describes the comforter, the one who would come and who would walk beside them. Here then, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uses the very same term ten times to describe the comfort of the triune God. All throughout the Bible, when it speaks of comfort, it is not some abstract notion. It is always the idea of God's very presence in the midst of the struggle, that God intervenes in very personal ways. For example, the words of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, words that we perhaps know so well from the opening vocal piece of Handel's Messiah. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. This promise of comfort from God in very personal form is in great contrast to the perception of the pantheon of gods in that era. Pliny, for example, was a first-century writer, a Stoic philosopher, and he said that the notion of a supreme being paying attention to human affairs is a ridiculous notion. The great offer that the gods bestow in trouble is simply the offer of suicide, the only way out in the midst of struggle and trial. But what a contrast to what Paul writes. 
Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all creation, who comforts us in all of our troubles. We, of course, find support and comfort in a lot of different things in life. Several weeks ago, I had uh, Today Show on as I was getting ready one morning, and they did a piece on emotional support animals that people can now take onto airplanes. A lot of people have phobias when they fly. And so you can actually, for $150, get a certificate signed by a psychiatrist that will give you the privilege of taking an emotional support animal with you onto the plane. And so they showed people coming on with cats and dogs and even with pigs. As a matter of fact, they said that one flight had to take an early landing because the pig made a mess in the aisle. Well, we find comfort in our animals and our pets. We find comfort in lots of things. But the comfort here is this very intimate, personal comfort and care by the triune God of the universe. Because the troubles of following Christ and because of the struggles that we face in doing mission are real and debilitating, we need an incredible amount of strength and comfort one who will walk alongside of us, the literal meaning of the term that is used here. When we are going through struggle and conflict and affliction in the work of the gospel, this text tells us we are actually engaging in the sufferings of Christ. Paul writes in verse 5, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. The New Testament indicates that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we are therefore bonded to Christ in such a way that when we go through afflictions and difficulties in this world, we are actually in some manner sharing in the sufferings of our Lord. That doesn't mean we're adding anything to the work of the cross. None of us can do anything to add to that finished work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. But what it means is that in an experiential sense, we are so bonded to Christ our Lord and Savior that when we suffer, we actually suffer with Him. Polycarp in the second century was the bishop of Smyrna. According to tradition, he had been discipled by the Apostle John. And now in the second century, he was facing martyrdom because he refused to bow to the Roman gods. As he was being bound at the stake, he looked up into the heavens and he prayed aloud, I thank thee, O God, that you have judged me worthy of this hour. Worthy to share in the sufferings of his Lord. And Polycarp suffered with Christ in martyrdom. But the reports are from those who were surrounding him that God so surrounded him in his mercy and comfort that he died with an incredible aura of peace on his face and adoration to his God and Savior. And so no matter what you and I face in life, and no matter what we face particularly in carrying out the mission of the gospel, persecution, physical trial, loss, conflict, opposition, 
No matter what it is we face in the Christian life and in doing the mission of the kingdom, the triune God of the universe walks beside us, comforting us, strengthening us, caring for us more than we could ever imagine. Just a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And of course, as you likely know, there's a lot more to St. Patrick's Day than turning the Chicago River green and drinking green beer on that day. St. Patrick was a missionary to Ireland. He took the gospel into that very pagan land with polytheism abounding all around him. And St. Patrick left us, at least most people believe, that it it, uh, comes from St. Patrick, a poem or a hymn that goes like this. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that loves me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind myself into the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, by whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word, Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. That's the comfort we receive in God. That God who stands beneath us, around us, behind us, before us, no matter what troubles we face in life. But that's not the end of the story about comfort in the pages of Scripture. And it is not the end of the story about comfort here in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. For it turns from the comfort that we receive from God to the comfort that we share with others. Let me read verse 3 again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that... We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In other words, we are comforted by God not to become comfortable. But we are comforted by God that we might turn outward and become comforters of others, that we might care for others in our journey in this world. Paul himself knew the significance of human comfort. Over in chapter 7, he writes the following, verses 5 through 7. He says, When I came into Macedonia, missionary journey, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort that you had given to him. Human comfort. Interestingly here, Titus had been mentored by the Apostle Paul, much younger than Paul, but he experiences comfort in his moments and a missionary journey by this young man, Titus, coming into his very presence. The whole notion of being comforted to comfort others 
I think, reminds us of two very significant biblical truths. On the one hand, it reminds us that our faith in Christ is not self-centered. It is not for our enjoyment alone. That's in great contrast to what the great Roman philosopher Cicero said a century before Christ. He believed that one only ever thanks the gods because he is rich, honored, safe, and sound. They called Jupiter best and greatest because of these things, not because he makes us just, temperate, and wise. And indeed, there are many people around the world today, when they think of Christian faith, think of it in terms of what they get out of it. All of the things that they can get from God for themselves, and it becomes a very self-centered faith. One of the challenges in many parts of the world today is a kind of health and wealth gospel that we come to Jesus because of the health and wealth and escapism that we can face in life. We are reminded here that our faith is not that kind of self-centered faith. But there's something else that this verse reminds us of. And that is that faith in Christ binds us to each other. As Paul puts it elsewhere, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When one part rejoices, the whole rejoices. That is, we have a care to enter into the lives of other people in their moments of stress and difficulty, in their attempts to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ in this broken world. And that means for us that we care for our missionaries, that we pray for them, that we write to them, that we encourage them, that we stand with them, that we are a presence of Christ in their life when they come home on furlough. It means that we care for our brothers and sisters sitting at the end of the pew as they struggle in their life to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are comforted that we might comfort others. I think it also means, by the way, that we have a responsibility in our own troubles and trials to let others into our life. That we too need to be open to the care that we can receive from other people around us. Sometimes we have a tendency to build blocks around ourselves, to build barriers to protect ourselves from other people. We don't let other people get close to us. We don't want others to know the pain that we feel in our own lives, the struggle that we carry. And so we build those barriers, but the implication here is that it goes both ways. We care for others, and we allow others to care for us. Paul in verse 6 says, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. We are all called to walk with each other. And that is especially true as we attempt to be faithful to the gospel of Christ, as we attempt to be engaged in the mission in the world to which He has called us, and all of us are called to it, to walk with each other, to pray for each other, to care for each other, to listen, to encourage Sometimes even just to be a silent presence for others in the moments of darkness that they face. All of that, of course, stands in stark contrast to the individualistic culture in which we find ourselves. We live in a culture which is a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, do-your-own-thing, be-your-own-person. 
It is a kind of world in which we honor those who can be autonomous and do it alone. Daniel Boone, famous quote, when I see the smoke from my neighbor's chimney, I know it's time to move on. Don't need anyone else in life. About a year and a half ago, uh, my wife, Marianne, who is actually with me today, uh, her mother died, and she was cleaning up some things out of the apartment in the retirement home where her mother and father had lived. And she came across uh, a box of old children's books. And one of them we just had to keep. I told Marianne I'm glad that she didn't actually uh, imbibe in the doctrines of this little children's book. Marriage would be a lot more difficult, I think. But it's called Busy Timmy, and I want to read it to you. It reflects very much the American mythos. Timmy is a big boy. He can put on his outdoor clothes all by himself. He goes down the steps with his big pail and shovel. He climbs into his sandbox all by himself. No one has to help him. He's a big boy now. A robin sees Timmy and comes flying. A squirrel sees Timmy and comes running. A rabbit sees Timmy and comes hopping. They all watch Timmy make little holes and big hills in the cool white sand all by himself. Timmy rides his horse all around the flower bed. Around and round he goes and then back home again. He goes up the steps and opens the door. You guessed it, all by himself. Timmy gets ready for his bath. No one else has to help him. He's a big boy now. He splashes in the bathtub and he sails his new boat. He puts on his own bib and holds his own cup. He eats all of his supper with no help at all. He has no parents, evidently. They're not in the picture at all. (laughs) Timmy brushes his teeth and he climbs into bed all by himself. Hush, says the robin. Hush, says the squirrel. Shh, says the rabbit. Timmy is a big boy and he's sound asleep. Yes, Timmy is a big boy, and you are big too. Timmy does a lot of things, and so can you all by yourself. Now, that may be good American culture. It's terrible biblical theology. It is not the way God has created us, and it is not the way God has ordained the church, and it is not the way God has ordained for the mission of the church to be carried out in the world. For in Christ, we are connected to each other, and we are connected to Christ to whom gives, He gives us the capacity then to bring comfort and care to other people. We can get very pious, I think, in our times of struggle and trial to say, all I need is Jesus, all I need is prayer. I just rely on Him and I get through it all. And indeed, in the troubles of the Christian life and in the struggles of doing Christian mission in our world today, we need Jesus an awful lot. But we also need each other. Our youngest daughter and her family are in a church in Charlotte, North Carolina that's pastored by uh, one of our alumni from Gordon-Conwell. And when Trevor was a student at the seminary more than three decades ago, he and several other students formed an accountability and support group. That group has stayed together all of these years. Once a month, they are on the phone with each other. Almost every year, they've gathered together as individuals, sometimes with their families. They've talked about issues they're facing in their ministry. All of them are still in the pastorate, probably because of the significance of that group, by the way. 
But they have shared with each other the conflicts they've experienced. They've talked about the sermons they're about to preach. They've dealt with the struggles in their own personal life and their family life. Whenever they've had opportunities to move on to another calling, to another church, they have wrestled with it together as a body, as a group. It was about a decade ago that Trevor, the pastor, and his wife lost a son in a terrible bicycle accident. He was a freshman at William and Mary College and hit by a drunk driver. And as they shared the story with me, they said it was the hardest thing by far they had ever gone through in their lives. To lose someone who was your own flesh and blood, you would change their diapers, you would care for them, you would nurture them over those years. And as Trevor said to me, in those moments we felt the incredible care and comfort of God. But he said, within 48 hours, all of those guys were surrounded around me. They were all there. They were a presence. They were comforting. They were listening. They were strengthening. He said there were times we simply sat there for long periods in silence, but their presence was the mediation of Christ's care to me in those darkest moments. And indeed, as we live our lives as Christians, and as we attempt today to carry out His mission in a world which brings a great deal of opposition to the Christian church around the world, as we attempt to stand firm in the gospel and in His Word, we need to do it with the recognition that God has given each other to us to enable us to make it and to be faithful to Christ. Paul writes in verse 7, Our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul knew the troubles of being a Christian. He knew the troubles and trials of being in the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trouble, trouble, trouble. We've got trouble in Mission City. It abounded everywhere, and you see it so clearly when you read this epistle. It will happen. And it will happen for all of us. There is no escape from it. What God promises is His incredible care and comfort. That the triune God of the universe will wrap His loving, merciful arms around us in the darkest nights that we can go through, in the moments of loss, in the moments of tragedy, in the moments of opposition, in the moments when it seems like everything is falling apart at the seams, God is there, the God of all comfort. And the other good news is that when we go through those trials and troubles, God has ordained that our brothers and sisters be there for us, and we there for them. And so, Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. May it be so in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.